Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydao.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everyone, here to the CityDAO pod. With us today is Lonis, the founder of Bounty Board and the Web3 task management solution called Dwork. So if you run a DAO and you have bounties, and if you have tasks for the community to complete, which every DAO does, then Dwork is a powerful solution for this. And of course, CityDAO can say this from a bit of a unique perspective. We're essentially a customer of Dwork and have been working with Lonus for quite a while now. Lonus was the first core contributor developer with the project. If I said any of that wrong, he'll correct me, I'm sure. So it's a pretty natural fit to be working in this capacity as we are right now. So we're going to talk about data science a little bit, about some market predictions, about the freelancer economy and how that relates to DAOs, and also how it's evolving with the increased quantity of DAO and other Web3 bounty type work and what that might look like moving forward. So let's dive right in. Lonis, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing, man? All good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Right on. You know, when I think about the word or the, the name dework, it sounds almost like unwork, like less work. I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth here, but it's about taking tasks and burdens off of a team and decreasing their workload through automation. Am I in the right direction or did you have a different intention? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, there's like two different meanings you could say. We're like allowing decentralized work structures, but we're also get, trying to get rid of this, I guess, historical label of work as a full-time job that you're working nine to five and you get paid based on that number of hours you work. We try to shift that definition to a more output-based model where you work for yourself and you build your own reputation and profile through your work. So in that sense, it's also the traditional work or less traditional work. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, really going almost, if DeFi is a bit more peer-to-peer, doing decentralized work with a DAO is, I'm not sure exactly what the right wording is or the phrase is to describe that, but I mean, I hire a lot of freelancers for my company, right? We have freelancers all over the place. And the more I get involved in the DAO space and the more these bounties pop up, the bounties are starting to be not insignificant sums, right? Some of these bounties are serious work with long-term impacts and in many cases are justifiable of someone stopping their freelance work on, let's say, Upwork.com or Freelancer.com or wherever, or Fiverr or wherever they happen to be. Why would you go to these old school platforms when you can be involved in something that's more exciting, actually have a bit of ownership on a project and access it through platforms like Dwork or whatever it else may be? And it makes me wonder, do you think there's going to be a time where, let's say, Upwork.com is going to be gone? right? Whatever their valuation is, is there going to be a place for them when more and more DAOs pop up and more and more bounties pop up? What, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's a great question. And yeah, I mean, I'm a huge like power use of traditional gig tools. So especially the Fiverr and Upworks. So for instance, way back when, the little time I spent in school before I dropped out, I never went to class really. I just used Fiverr to find like the best PhD level kind of folks in, in Southeast Asia that could I could have some Socratic dialogue with regarding the subjects. And that was kind of how I learned. Wait, how far did you make it? No, it, it was really great. I used it for all my courses, basically. Just like, okay, we're reading this like economics paper this week or these chapters in the book. 
I, I won't go to class to kind of hear their professors tweet the book out. I rather like skim through it and then just ask the person questions and then go back and forth and learn like that. Yeah. And how far did you go in school? You said just a little bit. Oh, right. Yeah. Just a month or two. And then I dropped out. I <laughs> love it, man. Love it. Just go dive right in. Yeah. So sorry. That was a side rant on the freelancer economy. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, but that was kind of my first experience with, with gig tools. And then I was also when I dropped out and started my first company, the pick.ai, which is like a machine learning company in the Nordics, probably one of the largest machine learning companies in the Nordics. So we have around 35 employees focused on using machine learning to help e-commerce stores. Not as interesting as those. The e-commerce space is kind of boring in, in that sense. And this is part of the point, right? As we move forward, why take random freelancer jobs and companies you don't care about that have little impact in your life and little meaning to you personally and, and don't inspire your soul at all? Why would people keep doing that when DAOs are so much more exciting, so much more meaningful, and in many cases start to offer bounties that are equal to or larger than what you would find? The only thing missing is volume, it feels like. Right. Yeah. One thing is volume for sure. But I, the thing I, I learned using these gig platforms at school and also when I started my first company, when we kind of used people or we, we partnered with folks on Fiverr to kind of do sales for us and outreach. What you learn when you have a lot of these bounties is that these traditional gig tools break down since they aren't done in the product management context. They're just made for like one-off stuff. Whereas DAOs, as you, as you know, they want a lot of community contributions. So you do have a lot of work streams going on. And so it's not really feasible if you have a lot of stuff going on to use Fiverr or Upwork. You can only use them effectively for one-off stuff, which I learned very quickly when I scaled up our usage of Fiverr and Upwork. I always thought you could build a better car in respect to these tools, even without DAOs. But then, of course, coming into DAO land, there was like that problem to be solved, but also a lot of other problems to be solved. So You're right. It's really intense. I find, let's say Upwork, for example, I think I've hired like maybe 100 people on Upwork. It's crazy. And they go through phases like Upwork as a company needs to control everything. They need to have absolute control on dialogue, communication, what's said, how it's said, what's the order that it's said. And the example that always comes to mind is I would put, for example, my website link inside the job posting so that the freelancer can actually do the right research before they apply to the job. That would sound pretty logical, right? And my postings kept getting banned and blocked and then you have to go through the manual process to unblock it because Upwork feels like I'm trying to contact a freelancer outside the platform by giving them a means to communicate with me outside the platform just by giving them my website. And then it's a long process, a ticketing process to get it open and get it back live. That includes, first of all, they made me formally apologize to Upwork and promise to never, ever put my website link again. So, and obviously I had fun with that and it was a play of words in order to have my own entertainment while abiding by these weird policies, but they have to have control. Otherwise, shareholders lose. And control is the opposite of decentralization. This is a top-down structure versus a bottom-up. I mean, DAOs, you know, you use Discord. Everyone talks openly. It's, it's completely wide open. Anyone can do anything. This is the way of the future, in my opinion. And so in my mind, there's a timer. There's a ticking timer right now about how long Upwork has to survive. And I'm curious. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's just like box stores right now compared to Amazon. It's the way of the past. Either they evolve and move forward or they don't. So it's been really cool in CityDAO to see this growth of bounties. And, uh, and it's cool to be working with you on that. Yeah, for, for sure. So my thought on that is that Upwork is like an okay solution for like previous world where you only did one-off bounties and you didn't really care about the middleman that takes this huge cut of the transactions and also have these arbitrary rules. But of course, now we're entering a, a new world where you have a lot of more bounty-like workflows that you manage together with outside contributors or your current contributors. And so we just need new tools for that. I would probably 
frame the work just as much as a Web3 Trello board or a Web3 Linear or Asana, just as much as I would call it a Web3 Upwork, because there's a supply side and demand side. So from the contributor perspective, it might seem like an Upwork or like a more high quality Upwork with not as much spam, maybe. But from the supply side, from the DAO perspective, it's not as much as Upwork. It's more like Linear or Asana or something like that. You know, one of the things I think about a lot when I see platforms like DWORK supporting the decentralization of work and DAOs issuing all these bounties and payments going through in crypto all over the place, more and more and more. And when we look at regulatory environments that either resist crypto payments or question them or audit them or make it more difficult and add red tape and, and have, like if I'm a regular person and I've earned, I don't know, whatever my average income is in, in the world, of whatever it is, and I have to, at least in the, in the first world, have to go pay an accountant to sort out the transactions and when did I receive those payments and what is the capital gains on those payments and how does that incorporate to my spending habits? If I have to spend five and $10,000 with an accountant to sort out what would supposed to be just a simple transaction of payments, you know, money coming to me, whereas I don't have to deal with that if it's fiat. The more that regulatory environments impose those types of hurdles, you could say, and red tape, and the less, well, the less quickly or the, the slower those regulatory environments are to adopt this style of payment system, then they're naturally become, and this isn't advice in any, in any place, way, shape, or form. I'm just abstractly discussing a subject here. It creates a demand to keep things off grid. And if people are setting up their own private wallet that is non-KYC, that's just the wallet that's out on your ETH address or whatever it is, and you're receiving payments to this ETH address that is not connected to your physical identity in the country that you're residing in, it creates an incentive to stay off grid. And the only reason I bring that up is because now there's a demand to be able to spend that money off grid in a way that kind of creates a dual identity. If reporting tax authority has no idea where that is and where that money is and how it's coming in or being spent, then how are they ever going to tax? And, and, and it creates this, it's like regulatory environments that are resisting the change are actually supporting the change accidentally. And then there's a question of how long is it going to take for either these environments to catch up and have a means to easily allow people to report this income and loss and, and gains and losses versus how fast is that economy going to create a life of its own and overrun or overturn? And that connects into network cities, of course. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I'm not trying to suggest for people to go off grid. It is not what I'm saying at all. That's illegal and don't do that. But clearly, this is the direction that some people are going and working for DAOs in crypto it kind of makes it easy. Have you seen a lot of that? Yeah, for sure. That that's the neat thing with yeah having remote by default, anon by default, like outcome based and output based culture. Yeah, it clearly allows for much more like flexible work structures, both from the DAO side and from the contributor side. So yeah, definitely seeing that. How many DAOs are you working with right now? So we have around more than two hundred major DAOs have like signed up. That's huge, man! Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, in total, it's been like almost 20,000 created tasks and bounties on the work and a bit over 10,000 signed up contributors so far. Over what time span? So we basically started working on this like five months ago, five, six months ago. So you have 200 DAOs sign up in five months. And did you say 20,000 tasks in five months? We launched publicly only like three and a half months ago. So wow. yeah. Talk about nailing the supply and demand product market fit right out of the gates, man. That's, that's awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's been great so far. So I have to assume, I mean, most people would assume probably that bear market is decreasing the transactions of bounties and tasks. Is that true? Or are you finding it pretty consistent? I'm actually very surprised by this, by the fact that it doesn't seem to. I was sure like two weeks ago, I was sure, okay, I'll just, 
and just to report the 35% like decline in, in activity. But it turns out we actually had the highest amount of activity ever the previous week. And is that because of new clients onboarding? Or is that simply because there's just more transactions per DAO? A bit of both. Like we've seen DAOs coming in and also DAOs that are here, like continuing in the same steady pace. And they're both valid indicators because you would also draw the, a similar presumption that less DAOs would be signing up if it was a bear market. But if you're having the same growth or more in addition to transaction volume, that's a, that's a very bullish environment. That's a longer term yeah, yeah. sustainable environment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it just validates the theme around the build markets. It surely seems like that. I also think nobody likes the bear market, but the positive side effect is that DAOs are getting a bit more focused and maybe a bit more results oriented or like and stuff like that. And so they are more interested in getting work done on the margins. A lot of people look at anything and everything in crypto as connected to bull and bear market. And mm-hmm. with, <laughs> with a lot of the shitcoin projects out there, it's very true. However, sure. when we're talking about physically getting work done on a budget that has accountability. We're talking about just regular jobs in DAOs that have these bounties and tasks and the people that are coming to do them. They're just a regular job. And so now we have to factor in, I suppose, how big is the freelancer economy and how big is just the economy in general, people that want to work on these cool projects? And what's the migration volume from those markets into here? And if we're looking at a, I'm not sure exactly how big the freelancer economy is, but I have to assume it's somewhere in the 50 plus billion realm of volumes. And if we're looking at whatever it is, n number of freelancer dollars going in and out and and transactions going in and out, and that's slowly funneling into the DAO space, which the DAO space, I mean, how big would you say, based on what you've seen so far, what is an average monthly spend going through your platform? Are we talking a million bucks a month going through? 500,000, 10 million? Like, what is the range? If you don't mind sharing, I'm curious how big this market is right now. Yeah, sure. So average is, it differs massively because we have like two kinds of different workflows. So we have this bounty board workflow, as you're mentioning, where DAOs like CityDAO and Nation3 and Shapeshift DAO are a few examples of DAOs that are very bounty driven in, in the work. But then we have like, I would say most DAOs that are using bounties mainly as a way to onboard new contributors. And then they like to use some other form of compensation scheme when they have onboarded, but they still do use the work just as much for the product management aspect. Because what the work does that you can't do really with Linear or Notion or Jira is that it's really Web3 native product management tools. So, and that means a few things. One of the things it means is that whether you complete bounties or tasks, you actually build your Web3 profile while using the work. So you have this LinkedIn style profile on the work where your work history is kind of stacked up. We're not calling it Web3 profile, it's just in the abstract. We're actually putting the work on chain that you complete, be it bounties or be it tasks. Do you track transactional volume? Like, is that something that's in your database that Obviously, you can't share that publicly, but do you track like how much money is flowing around from DAOs to contributors? Yeah, it's a good amount, but I would say that bounties are still a like small but growing portion of that share that's going to contributors. I would say majority of DAOs are using the work for managing workflows, and then they pay them out in other ways than bounties, so kind of outside the work system. Oh, okay, okay. So is it fair and accurate to look at n number of traditional style freelancer transactions? And look at a certain percentage of that migrating into the DAO space. Like, let's say that we're talking about $50 billion in freelancer contractor payments going through on an annual basis. And this, I'm, I'm literally pulling this number out of thin air because I don't have anything to back it up. I'm just something to work with. So let's start with $50 billion. What percentage of current freelancer transaction volume do you think is in progress of moving into a DAO space? Let's, let's fast forward five years. Are we talking 25% of that moving over, 100%? 
Ten percent, fifty percent. What do you think? Yeah, they're very hard to guess. I would guess both the Web two and the Web three kind of gig economies would grow simultaneously. I think that the like world outside of Web three and DAOs, they are also increasingly doing things more gig based. People are like specializing in in what they actually do the best, and then they can focus on those kinds of skills in different kind of organizations. Yeah, I see both industries growing a lot. I guess another question there is that there are a lot of those currently that are not working with contributors or in a gig based way. Rather, they are having basically salaried employees that are working full time, and that's all good and well. What we're seeing is that that portion is decreasing, whereas the community based approach is is growing very rapidly. More and more DAOs are kind of distributing work from the small employee core team to the wider community. And so, how did this come about? If I had to guess, I, I feel like I mean, you were such an early contributor with CityDAO, and I'd imagine that that work exposed you to what sort of infrastructure needs a DAO does have and what are the shortcomings of tools that are existing out there. Is this kind of the birthplace of your idea for DWORK that led into it? Yeah, for sure. So CityDAO was the first DAO server I joined way back when. All right. And um, Claim to fame forever, man. Yeah, no, for sure. So I've always been interested in charter cities and like creating new governance structures and CityDAO was the perfect example of that. So I, I joined the server and actually tried to find ways to contribute. The hard thing was that as most Discord servers, it's very hard to have some form of overview and see this is where I can contribute. This is what I can do. So I just started to DM folks randomly. But of course, core members get like dozens of DMs probably every single day. So it's very hard to like stand out in, in that way. So what I basically, me and my co-founder, David, we, what we basically did is that we started contributing at the same time. And we basically forked the Citadel GitHub repo and basically yeah, downloaded the code and started to add small commits of code as a way to kind of learn and yeah, get into the space. And then uh, Greg, who was a tech leader, he, yeah, he then kind of saw that and then gave us more and more work. But yeah, we were the first like outside contributors and did that, yeah, a lot of engineering work in the early months. Sweet. And, and so with that sort of growth trajectory, I mean, if you're only out publicly 3.5 months and you have 200 DAOs already and they're increasing in bear market, it kind of feels like by end of the year, you're going to be crossing the four digit threshold here past a thousand DAOs or I'm not even really sure how many DAOs are out there, really. Like, what are your growth predictions and <laughs> yeah. forecasts here with DWORK? Yeah, so to be honest, we're, we're not really tracking the sheer amount of numbers. I mean, we're tracking it, of course, but the main like North Star metric is more qualitative than that. It's more like what amount of DAOs that are actually have functioning workflows and are kind of serious in their operations. How many of those DAOs needs are we like really executing well against? And that's, of course, a much smaller number. So we're like looking very close at like 20 to 30 DAOs that we think are leading indicators of what, where the rest of the pack will go. And that's kind of what we're focusing on because we're very sure that in the DAO market will look dramatically different in a year or two years. How many times have you heard someone say that they've quit their job to go work for a DAO? Every DAO contributor is saying this. Yeah, there's no one that wants to go back, in my experience at least. Even whilst people still have a lot of complaints around like, it's hard to get involved, it's hard to kind of track work and get compensated in fair ways or whatever. But still, even despite these shortcomings, people really seem to like it, uh, in my experience. So yeah, I've heard it many times. What are the biggest challenges right now or shortcomings in DAO infrastructure that you just mentioned too, that you're really focused on right now? Yes, the main way is workflow management, I would say. So the thing with autonomous and like bottoms up work structures is that there are actually, the graph is even more complex than top-down. Like if you if you look at the graph of a top-down org, there are not that many nodes and edges. It's very like minimal amount of edges basically in that graph. Whereas we're bottom-up where everyone have their kind of own ideas and do their own sub-initiatives. It's a very complex graph with lots of nodes. So what we're kind of doing is we're trying to build this 
workflow management tool can accommodate for those very like complex workflows. And one of the concrete ways we're doing this in is that we have this very granular permissioning structure in DWORK. So in DWORK, if you start a DAO, you don't only have like the standard option of being an admin or a member. If you go to Notion, for instance, you're either an admin or a member. Same thing in most tools, really. But what was very clear is that DAOs have made very granular permissioning controls. If you look at the Discord server, for instance, many servers have like 50 different roles that each have very specific access behavior and gives you different kind of access privileges. So what we're doing is that we're actually syncing over all of these many times hundreds of Discord roles you have in your server to the work. And that lets you do very granular and precise permissioning control based on your existing Discord roles. So you can say, yeah, if you were like have a Genesis role or a token holder role or a admin or whatever developer role, then you can do X. And if you have this role, then you can do Y. So you can be very granular and bottoms up in how you allow people to gradually gain more access and, and permissioning stuff. And how many people are on your team right now working on DWORK? So we're only a few people in the core team, just three, four people. And then we actually have five to six contributors that are using DWORK to build DWORK with us. So we're putting out bounties that they pick up and complete and they build their profiles. And yeah, that's how we kind of work together. Very similar to how DAOs work. There was a time when the first person, and I don't know who it was or when it happened, and if anyone out there knows who it was or how it happened, please let me know. But there was a time out there when the first person quit their quote-unquote regular job in order to work for a DAO. And there's going to be a time when, let's say, 1% of the global economy is going to be working for a DAO, in my opinion. I think that's coming up in our future at some point. I don't think we're going to hit 100%. I don't think that's feasible, viable, or realistic. But I think 1% is definitely more than feasible and realistic. And I don't know what the real sort of balance number is. Is it 25% of total? Is it 50%? Is it 10%? I'm not really sure. If you had to guess, what would you say is either a possible or a reasonable prediction going ahead, let's say a decade from now, what percentage of the workforce do you think is going to be working for a DAO? Yeah, yeah, we should run some prediction market on this or something like that. Where are to say, I guess the framework I would try to use is that if we look at, okay, to the extent that there will be 1% of DAOs, then it means that this 1% of DAOs will outcompete 1% of private companies or whatever. And I think that the area where, where DAOs have the best chance of outcompeting private companies is when they compete with not maybe traditional companies, but actually governments and local governments like CityDAO is doing, for instance. So you're not competing with Apple, you're actually competing with my local governor and you're winning that battle very easily, I'm sad to say. So I think like most public goods thing, most other functions, yeah, that's your local governor or your president are trying to fill, I think could be much better handled using house and those kind of governing mechanisms. So, and yeah, I don't know how big a percentage of world GDP they, they have, maybe 20%, 30%, not sure. But yeah, maybe that could be like the lower end, taking over the government and local government functions. Yeah. And I mean, parcel one right now is a, a big discussion inside CityDAO. What's it going to be? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be an embassy, which is a great idea and, and fascinating in so many regards? And also, should we build a city? Is CityDAO going to go build a city? Are we going to assimilate an existing township and see what processes from our existing processes we can take and enhance and improve on? And what is the low-hanging fruit? And what are the easiest ways to show positive, clear, unarguable traction and benefits of a DAO in the real world? And that's a big subject right now in the parcel one discussions as well, or, or parcel two or three, or whoever knows what it's going to be. is certainly a discussion worth having. And I, I don't think anyone disagrees that better is possible. And DAOs are exploring what is that better and what does that look like? And for me, it's inevitable that there's going to be a growing percentage. I mean, the growth that you've experienced in the last three to five months is outstanding. 
And we'd love to have you back on the show again in like another year or so, or six months even, just to keep pulse on this. Because in a way, you're positioned in a way to have a check on what the market feels and look like and how it's operating inside the DAO space. And I wonder, like, do you focus on some of the data science in there and tracking metrics from that perspective? Or, I mean, you're probably more focused on just operations and keeping your head above water. But to what degree do you get involved with the data around DAO market growth in general? So I tend to focus more on the specifics than the market as a whole, because there's a lot of noise in the market as a whole. But yeah, I mean, the DAO market has grown like 900% year over year. But yeah, like it will go down to 800 or like up to 1,000. It's not something I'm spending too much time thinking about. I more to think about how can we kind of understand, very deeply understand these kinds of workflows that the leading DAOs have and how can we serve them. That's kind of what I tend to think about. So if CityDAO was the first DAO that you essentially heard about and got involved in, how did that come about? How did you hear about CityDAO? Yeah, I'm in a lot of Telegram groups and Discord servers just around charter cities in general. And yeah, CityDAO came up at some point. So I just joined the server and yeah. So before that, I had this machine learning company in the Nordics, the pick.ai. So I, I, I did that as a like full-time job, but I always read up a lot about the latest things in crypto land, especially interested in decentralized prediction markets, uh, futurecharky, stuff like that. And yeah, there were basically just more and more stuff coming up all the time around those very interesting subjects. So I just got like increasing amounts of FOMO. And so was this your company in the past or was it something you were just working for? Was it employment or? Yeah, it was a company I founded just when I dropped out of school. So did you sell it then? Like, I'm trying to figure out that transition. Yeah, so I basically, I didn't sell my shares, but yeah, I'm still talking closely with my co-founder there. Okay, so so you've kind of stepped back. Yeah. Outsourced your responsibilities, hired some more team or something so you can focus more over here. Yeah, it's a very big team. So it's like 30 people. So So you're kind of one of those people that quit the regular job to come work in the DAO space. Sure. Is that how you see it or do you see it differently? No, I, I would say that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, we're going to see where that goes in the future with other DAOs. So I, yeah, so there's a lot of people I think that would be really interested in understanding more of the data in a prediction sense about what the DAO market is going to look like in X amount of time. And, and that can be broken down into three months, six months, 12 months, 24. This is a vastly growing space. And like, what are you doing for op costs? I suppose you have revenue as a percentage of transactions. Are you looking for outside funding? I'm just curious, what's your plan for your scaling? Or is it very natural organic at this point? Sure. So I guess when will this come out, this podcast? Oh, this will be probably middle of June, 2022. Right. Okay. Yeah. By, so by then we'll have like a fundraising announcement. Uh, ah, okay. Gotcha. Hopefully I've heard of. Yeah. And we're currently, we're not taking a cut of payments. So currently we're just 100% focused on building the best possible products. Of course, at some point we'll, we'll monetize Probably it will be one of the clearest ways of monetizing would be to, for instance, do it based on the amount of outside contributors you kind of invite to bounty. So currently you have the system where you can go to dworth.xyz and see a big list of bounties in different DAOs that you can contribute to. It's one way street. So you can apply to this or like engage with them, but they can't reach out to you just randomly. But we plan on, on allowing that to have both sides being able to interact with each other. And then we could charge based on how many people you invite to your bounties, for instance, or to your board, project boards. Yeah. Anyone that's listening, I'm not trying to accidentally promote the fundraising round here. I'm just looking at it from an angel investor's perspective. Of course, I have a, you know, a few investments and who doesn't these days, right? And when we see an emerging industry with a growing market and a transition of an old way of doing things to a new way, and then we have something like DWork that has this growth trajectory and this product market fit, you could say, 
it's a really hot subject. And what other types of companies do you foresee popping up to serve DAO needs as this growth in the DAO world continues? What are the other needs that are untapped right now? Yeah, there are a good amount of them, I would say. There are a few companies popping up around like helping with payments and like payroll and stuff like that. I think those companies will grow a lot. There are, yeah, a lot, lots of them to kind of imagine. I, I guess the ones I'm particularly interested in are the ones that are like trying to innovate around governments, governance structures and like creating better incentive structures. I'm very interested in like implementation of KPI options and then yeah, implementations of future key and, and stuff like that. I think we haven't seen any interesting implementation of those techniques so far in DAOs. And yeah, hopefully there will be companies or, or DAOs that are trying to implement these kind of techniques operationally. I'm very excited about that. Now, imagine someone's talking to you that's starting a DAO right now. Let's just, let's just pretend, let's role play for a second. Let's say I got the best ideas since sliced bread and I'm starting a DAO around it. We'll call it sliced bread DAO. <laughs> and I'm wondering how much structure do I put in place day one versus how much organic growth do I allow to happen first, right? And on one side, you could say, well, you want to be structured for growth and have all these tools in place and put the work in place and all these other tools in place day one, so that when people come on, they have a good experience and a good onboarding process. But the other camp could argue that, no, 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 let's just wait and see if this idea catches on and if there is a community at all that's going to grow, and let's sort out the tools later. But then, the, of course, the reverse argument is, well, if you get all this hype with all these people coming on and you don't have the tools, they're going to leave or they're going to have a bad experience or something bad's going to happen. But then, of course, right. there's increased overhead, whether that be physical costs or just manpower costs to setting up all these tools. So What's your answer? When is the right time for a DAO to be setting up, let's say, a D-Work or other types of tools versus just sure. letting it organically grow chaotically for a bit? Yeah, I'm definitely somewhat of a fan of a like, more organic model. You adopt the tool when you feel the lack of it hurts. So when you feel that you, I, I'm trying to do X or I'm trying to accomplish Y, but I can't with my current kind of tool setup, that's when you go out and get the tool. So yeah, I, I would probably start small. You don't want to start too small either because you actually want to have some way of being able to communicate what the actual idea is and the, the vision and a bit about, about how you plan to get there. And that's also one way to, to use the work for road mapping or like high level planning as well. But yeah, generally start small and then use the tools that you need to like solve the problems you're encountering. So Lonis, you have a very unique perspective than other people because you, you get to see all the different ways that DAOs or the, your 200 DAOs anyways are functioning. And no two DAOs, I would assume, operate exactly the same way. But I'd imagine that there might be categories and some DAOs tend to go into this direction or that direction or this other direction. How would you describe the different styles of approach that DAOs are taking for workflow and task management? Like, What are the different approaches, generally speaking, that you see out there? And maybe some pros and cons to each of them. Yeah, it's been really interesting seeing the history of DAOs so far. We started out eight years ago or whatever with more social DAOs through Bitcoin and Ethereum or rather technical DAOs that are like operating on a technical level. And in the last few years, we've seen DAOs mostly operate on a social level. And these DAOs that operate on a social level are much more complex in a way and much more unorganized. And yeah, they need a lot of tooling around them to kind of enable coordination of so many different folks with different incentives. It's very different from like being a Bitcoin miner to being like a present-day DAO contributor. There are several ways, I guess, we could look at DAOs. You could slice them up by their function or what category of DAO they are. They can be a protocol DAO, product DAO, service DAO, of course, community DAOs. The way I tend to think about DAOs is by the degree to which they allow community participation. So in their actual workflows. So we could look at, for instance, there's some DAOs, maybe even commonly protocol DAOs that are very 
centralized in how they work. They are like basically a company in all ways, except that they might have a token. And then we have on the other end of the spectrum, those that are maybe don't even have official founders. They just have maybe a small core team, but then the entire DAO is then very autonomous in how they decide to work and how they distribute work. So that's the spectrum I tend to think about when I think about DAOs. Like to what extent are they allowing community participation in the actual day-to-day work? And which side of the spectrum and to what degree would you say CityDAO falls in? I would say definitely CityDAO is more on the decentralized side of the spectrum. You have a lot of contributors very actively thinking about how can we incorporate these new folks into our, our workflows, be it for building product or for doing translation or for doing community stuff or marketing. So definitely more on the decentralized side of it. Would you get in trouble if I asked you what the most decentralized and least decentralized DAO that you're working with? Because there's going to be benefits to both. It's not supposed to be a criticism, but I'm just curious you know, how far that spectrum goes. I would say more generally, many protocols, I would say, are like very decentralized in how they work for, for good reasons, I would say, because these kind of contracts, there are just a few hundred lines of Solidity code. So you don't really need that many people working on them. You can just have a very small team that have a high degree of context and they can do most of the work. So I see a lot of DAOs are being kind of decentralized in kind of how they work, whereas maybe especially community DAOs tend to be extremely decentralized. And uh, yeah, it's a free for all, basically. Potentially, there can be some kind of trade-off, of course. But yeah, I've probably answered that question more in the abstract. Well, there's a lot of unknowns in this market. And the more people I talk to locally and online, there's criticisms that DAOs like CityDAO are too centralized. And then there's other sides that are like, wow, CityDAO is really putting a powerful effort to decentralize and trolls will be trolls. But just abstractly, yeah, there are certain aspects that are centralized, some that are decentralized. Ultimately, the goal is to be more and more and more decentralized. And personally speaking, I'd say the path to becoming more and more decentralized is being walked by almost everyone in the DAO. And we're clearly making some progress in that direction. And there's a lot more progress to do coming up as well. And based on the people that are leading the guilds and leading the team, it seems without a doubt that decentralization is where CityDAO is headed. And we have to assume that obviously other DAOs are already there and farther along and also farther behind and catching up too. So the DAO is more like an aspirational statement in my mind. It's always been, we are aiming to be decentralized. No DAO, I mean, it's very difficult for a DAO to be 100% completely decentralized on day one and be successful at the same time. So in a way, to say that someone is a DAO or a group that is a DAO, it's an aspirational, this is what we're going to achieve. This is what we're building towards. And it's important, I think, for a lot of people to keep in mind that this is a, a vision that we're working on together inside of DAO. We're working to get there and to just be a little kind on the team members that are working on it. Just because Christmas isn't here today doesn't mean that it's not coming. It doesn't mean that the presents aren't there. We can't get mad at Santa for not being here today. We know it's coming. So let's just work towards it collaboratively. And that's perhaps a takeaway that I think people can reflect on a little bit. Let's work towards it and be a team towards it, because this is, in my mind, the future of human work. And this is where we're headed. On that note, what sort of advice would you give to someone that's about to start a DAO right now? They've got a hot idea. It got some Twitter traction. They're thinking of starting the DAO. What advice would you give them? I would probably try to think as much as possible about why the kind of the value proposition that you're bringing. Of course, to be a DAO, you need to create, of course, community engagement and like source of belonging and interesting ways of collaborating. But at the core of it, you still need to provide some form of value. So I try to like pinpoint what a specific value proposition is and try to build a DAO around, around that. Well, thanks, Lonis, for coming on the show here. Everyone that's listening, keep focusing on your project. Keep working on it. And we'll see you next week on the City DAO pod. There's a special guest coming up on the next episode. I think you're all going to be pretty excited about it. 
And again, thanks, Lonis, for contributing. It's people like you that take the step forward and become a core contributor on a brand new project like you did with CityDAO. It's people like you that make this space what it is. Obviously, we miss you on the dev team, but we love working with you with DWORK. And this is a, a huge benefit too. And you're benefiting so many other DAOs now. So obviously, it was a move for the better. So thanks for your time again today coming on the show. And for everyone else, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Peace.